haven't been here, we do have three guidelines, three goals for this series. Uh, We're not just standing up here giving some opinions, uh, but number one, when the Bible, when the Word of God speaks clearly, we want to speak clearly. Uh, So when your question relates specifically to something in Scripture, we're going we're gonna to speak what the Bible has to say. Uh, sometimes things won't be clear in Scripture. The Bible may not uh, specifically state about something that uh, affects modern life. And in those situations, when the Bible gives us a principle, we're going to seek to apply the biblical principle. Uh, so that's the, our, our main two goals. And then every once in a while, there will be a question that the Bible does not speak on. Uh, as far as we can tell, the Bible is silent. And in those cases, we'll give our opinion. Uh, but know that those are our prayed out opinions. We've sought God uh, as best as possible to, to give you uh, what is hopefully his best advice and best wisdom on the situation. And you'll know that when it's an opinion answer, I will tell you, hey, this is what I think about this. So all that being said, like I said, today is part five questions about suffering and we'll go ahead and kick it off with a couple of light questions because they're going to get pretty heavy real quick but we'll start out with these that were submitted number one are the dallas cowboys under a spiritual curse uh yes nothing else needs to be said there uh next question uh why did god make calories or are calories of the devil uh absolutely of the devil that's an easy one next question uh that may not actually be true, but we'll go with that for today. Uh, now they, we'll get a little serious. Um, question was submitted. I have a friend who I've been trying to bring to church, but she just doesn't know for sure. I, I think he means if, if she wants to come. Um, I asked her, and she asked the question, if God loved us as much as he says he does, why would he let young ones get raped and murdered? I didn't know what to say. I was caught off guard. Today's questions, I believe, will, will intersect with the questions a lot of us have either felt in our heart or verbalized for ourselves. I think a lot of us have, have wrestled with these questions of suffering. Honestly, this question is probably the one that, that today's whole message hinges on. How could a good God let us do such evil things? Why would God allow the things to happen that we see on the earth? Um, don't get me wrong, it's a very legitimate question. I believe part of our human nature is to be inquisitive. It's to ask questions. I believe God created us that way. I don't think God's intimidated by our questions. I think if you read the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms is full of David and other psalmists going before God and asking him some tough questions. God, why is this happening? Why why does your promise say this, but my life says this? Why don't things always line up? I don't think that God is intimidated by our questions. I think it's good for us to be able to ask them. So the question is, why? Why do these awful things happen? This specific question asks about rape and murder. To answer this, we have to do something simultaneously very difficult and very dangerous. Uh, We have to put ourselves in God's shoes. Uh, Let's go back before mankind was created, uh, and we imagining ourselves as God, if you were considering this decision, do I create mankind? Essentially, you have three options. You have three choices. God's choices were this. Don't create mankind at all. I have foreknowledge. I know what's going to happen. And if I create mankind, I know they're going to hurt each other. Some of them are going to kill each other. Some of them are going to rape each other. 
Some of them are going to lie to each other. Some of them are going to cheat on each other. Some of them are going to do some really awful, horrible, painful things to each other. So I'm just not going to give them that opportunity. I'm not going to create them at all. That's option one that God had. The second option he had was to create mankind, to give us life, but not give us the power to choose. I'm going to create them, but I'm going to make them do the right thing. I'm going to make them do the things that I would do. I'm going to make them like me, and, and they won't do whatever they want. They won't hurt each other. They won't harm each other. They'll do only good things, but they won't have the freedom to live life as they please. The third option, the option that God obviously chose was this, is to create mankind and give us free will. Give us the power to choose, to give us the ability to enjoy true joy, true fulfillment, and true freedom in life, which can only come from free will. If we were God-made robots who only did what we were designed to do and only did what we had to do, we would not discover that joy and fulfillment in the same way that we can in life, but that joy and fulfillment came with a price. And that price was he gave us the ability to make the wrong decision, the ability to make the wrong choice, the ability to do some awful things. And truth is, if we were to pass the microphone around the room this morning and have a moment of, of sincerity and honesty and transparency, most of us in this room would be able to speak of some pretty awful things that we've done, some pretty horrible things that we've done, some pretty nasty ways that we have hurt one another. Usually it's a family member, right? Like we're really good at hurting the people closest to us. Sometimes it's somebody else, perhaps someone we worked with or someone we went to school with or someone we encountered on Goodman Road, but we've done some awful things to some people, right? Why? Because God gave us the ability to choose. Why? Why did God choose option three? Why not not make mankind at all? Or why not make us with no ability to choose? Well, the best answer I can give you to that is to appeal to a human situation, choosing to have kids. My wife and I have two kids now. We've got a 19-month-old and an eight-week-old who's in Kid City for the first time this morning. And uh, when we decided, hey, we want to have children, we probably never really had a conversation about it, but we knew in our hearts when we have a kid, they're going to do something stupid at some point. They're going to do something painful at some point. Those of you who have raised children through teenage years and into adulthood, you know your kids have the ability to hurt you. Your kids have the ability to hurt each other. I got one amen, one honest mom the week before Mother's Day, right? Like, like our children have this incredible capacity to bring pain. Now, thankfully for, for me as a father, uh, my kids are young enough that I haven't seen just a whole ton of that yet. Just little glimpses here and there. Like, for instance, we, we have this eight-week-old amazing little baby daughter, and Judah adores her. He, he thinks she's the greatest, but he loves her too much. Um, I don't know if any of you guys ever watched Tiny Toons. There was a character on Tiny Toons, I think named Elmira, who loved animals so much that she, like, squeezed them and strangled them. That's Judah with Alexa. Uh, like, he, he adores her, and we're constantly like, gentle, gentle, gentle. Like, we're terrified that he's going to just bruise our daughter terribly. Um, but, but we knew in choosing to have a second kid, that kid was probably going to receive some pain from their older sibling. Uh, it's just the way that it works. So why? We could have protected Alexa from ever being hurt by not having her. Why did we choose to have her? 
I believe that decision was motivated by love. Even knowing that she would be hurt, even knowing that she would hurt someone else one day, we were motivated by this desire to produce, to multiply, to to bring a new individual into life. Now, I don't know about you, but I would say probably most of us in this room, at least for most of our life, have been grateful that our parents chose to have us. We may aren't always grateful that we had the parents we had or the siblings we had, but most of us are at least grateful that we've had the opportunity to exist. And I think that opportunity to exist is a beautiful thing that God has given us. And I believe it's absolutely motivated by love. He's given us the ability to exist and the ability to choose, to pursue whatever things in life we desire, whether they be great and admirable or awful and wicked. But the ability to have that choice, I believe, is absolutely part of God's expression of love for us. So I don't believe that rape and murder prove that God doesn't love us. As crazy as it sounds, I actually believe that rape and murder prove that God does love us because he's allowed each of us to have freedom and to choose the life, to choose the things in life that we desire to pursue. It's an expression of God's incredible love. Uh, It's a difficult thing. It's a hard thing. It's a question that we've all wrestled with, but I truly believe that he loves us. And because of his love, he's given us the ability to choose. Genesis 6, 5 and 6 says this, that, that God actually has regretted that decision at some point. Sometimes we think, well, God, why would you do this? Well, God himself has actually regretted this decision. He says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Most of you know, this is the passage about Noah and God's going to send a flood to to destroy the earth, to to destroy the, the wickedness of mankind, to hit the reset button. And start over. So, so don't think that, that in our pain and in our suffering that God is removed from that. Just as I believe a parent suffers greatly when their kid is suffering. Just as a parent suffers greatly when their kid is doing terrible things. I can't imagine so, so what, what a parent must go through when they realize that their child has become a murderer or a rapist. Uh, just, just as that would deeply hurt us, I believe God is deeply hurt. When he looks down and he sees his kids so far from the path that he created us for, so far from from his greatest desires for us. I don't believe it's just us who suffer in those things. I believe it is him. Jesus actually said this in Matthew 24, 37. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, just as wicked and evil as it was in the days of Noah, there's there's a generation coming that's going to incline that hard towards wickedness. Uh, I don't know that we're in that generation, but I think that wickedness in our hearts is, is accelerating. I think we have greater access to ways to hurt each other, greater access to, to ways to harm one another. Uh, and, and we're seeing that flesh itself out. And so I believe that God's heart breaks. At the same time, he's motivated by love. He's motivated by, by the desire to see us have freedom and to pursue the greatest things that he created us for. So that's my best answer to, to how can a loving God allow rape and murder? I, I don't believe that he has 
any other choice. Uh, if he chose to not allow those things, he would not be loving. He, he would, you, if, if he gave us partial choice, it's not choice at all, right? Like if he only gave us choice to, well, when you do the right thing, you can do what you want, but when you want to do the wrong thing, you can't, that's not a choice at all. That's manufacturing the desired result. So he's allowed us to, to allow the sin nature that, that we've acquired. He did not place that in us, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but he's allowed us to, to pursue whatever we choose, and many times it's painful for us, for each other, and for him. Next question. Whenever God puts so many obstacles in your life and you feel like there is no way to possibly be more strong, how do you know how strong you need to be for God? How do you know how strong you need to be for God? Uh, well, Philippians 4.13 says very famously, right, that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Uh, and we throw that verse around, and, and I actually texted that verse to somebody this week as an encouragement. So I'm not knocking that. I think it's a very encouraging verse. But I think sometimes we throw it around, and we don't understand the context of it. We don't realize what it's really saying. When Paul wrote those words, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, he was in prison. What was he in prison for? For telling people about Jesus. That was his crime. He's actually facing a death sentence, which he will eventually pay. His life is going to be taken from him simply because he's traveling the world and telling people a savior came to die for you. And so this is the context of this verse. Paul's speaking about his suffering, his personal suffering, the challenges he's going through as he's in chains for the gospel. And he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. In fact, if we read the, even just the one verse before it, will give us some great context. Philippians 4.12 says this. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So how do you know how strong you need to be for God? I would say you don't have to be strong for God. God wants to be strong for you. God's not asking you to be strong for him. He's not asking you to, to, to white knuckle it and, and step up and, and grit, grit your teeth and bear it and suffer through whatever. He's saying, lean into me, rest in me, and I'll give you the strength that you need. It'll be my strength for whatever your situation is, whatever your challenge is. You don't have to be strong for God, but you can be strong through him. How strong does he need you to be? I don't think he needs you to be strong at all. Again, I referred to the book of Psalms earlier. The book of Psalms is full of, of godly people, people who are pursuing God's best, collapsing and crying out and saying, why? David, who wrote most of the Psalms, and in 1 Samuel chapter 30, there's this account uh, of an incident. Uh, he, he was living in a town called Ziklag. He was on the run from King Saul. And him and, and about 400 of his men, or maybe it was 600, lived in this town called Ziklag. And they had gone off to, to battle. And when they came back from the battle, they found that another army had come in, ransacked their town, taken away their wives, kidnapped their kids, taken all their livestock. All their stuff was destroyed. Their homes were destroyed. This is a bad day. Like, I don't know what, what, what you're going through. I've never had a day as bad as that day that David had. Never came home and, and found my wife gone and my kids gone and my home destroyed and all my stuff gone. And so not only that, but now David's men, the very men that, that he's supposed to be able to lean on, the people he's supposed to be able to turn to in his time of need, they turn on him. Hey, this is your fault. And they decide, according to 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, it says, David was greatly distressed. Everybody say greatly distressed. 
He was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. So now not only has David lost his wife and his kids and his house and his stuff, now he's maybe about to lose his life to his best friends. That's a bad day. It's a rough day. So listen to what it happens. He was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. The New King James says David encouraged himself in the Lord. In other words, David, in the midst of all this drama, in the midst of all this hysteria, he found some time to get alone with God. And I don't know if that was an hour or 30 seconds because stones were coming. I'm not sure how long that time was, but David found an opportunity to get just between him and God and find strength in the Lord. David didn't go back out there in his strength and push through all this and, and power through it because David was a mighty warrior. No, David went to the mighty warrior and he found strength there. And I believe that's the model for us. I believe that's the design for us, that, that we go to him in whatever situation we're facing and whatever thing that we need strength for. So I don't believe God wants you to be strong for him. I believe God wants to be strong for you. Go to him, find his strength, ask for his strength, seek his strength. And when you do that, just like Paul said, you can go through anything. You can make it through anything and you can find joy in the midst of anything. Next question, if God knows all and knew us before he made us, when he made Lucifer, he must have known that he would be bad, right? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> he, he knew. Uh, God is what we call omniscient. That means all knowing. That means everything in eternity past and everything in eternity future. He sees it all. And there are many scriptures that teach us this. I'm just going to give you one. Hebrews 4.13 says this, says nothing in all creation. Lucifer was created, right? Therefore, he is in all creation. And if you're not familiar with Lucifer, Lucifer was an angel in heaven who led a rebellion against God. One third of the angels went with him. God banished him from heaven. And now he's what we know as Satan. He's the, the devil, the enemy uh, of God and the enemy of mankind. Yes, God knew he was going to fall. Uh, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So yeah, Satan, God knew that Lucifer would fall, that he would become Satan, just like he knew that you would fall and he made you anyway, just like he knew I would be sinful and he made me anyway. He, he is again motivated by love, even in knowing that things may go badly. Next question, do you think depression is an actual medical factor or a state of mind? Um, I, I would say all of the above. Uh, last week we talked about homosexuality and we talked about there being different sources and different places that it comes from and that I don't believe that, that it's all just one thing. There's a multitude of factors that can contribute to people ending up at that place. I think depression is the same. Absolutely, there are medical factors. It is scientifically proven. There are things that they can show through our body chemistry and the brain that are, that are factors that are oftentimes going to lead to depression. This is why depression can be treated with medication, with antidepressants. And there is no shame in a Christian being on antidepressants. There is no shame in a Christian getting medical help for our body or for our mind. We believe that, that God has given us doctors. We need to take advantage of them. Uh, there, there's no reason for us to, to, to abstain from those things. But I don't believe that depression is just a medical thing either. Um, now, there is what we call clinical depression, which is uh, the, the medical condition. Uh, then it's really actually an absence of feeling. Uh, then there's what maybe 
more of us would use, we would be like, oh, I'm just so depressed because we had a bad day or we had a bad week or whatever. And that's emotional depression. That, that's a feeling of, of great sadness, of, of great, great loss, of great, we would say, depression. Uh, and so the, that is absolutely emotional. I think that there's many factors. There's spiritual factors that can come into play here. There's emotional factors that can come into play. There's medical factors. There's chemical factors. There's uh, nutritional factors. There, there's circumstantial factors, relational factors. There's a lot of factors that can lead to depression. But know this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've received salvation, God has promised us joy. He's promised us joy. He's paid the price for us to have joy. Now, this doesn't mean that if you're in depression or you're depressed that you're in sin, but but it does mean that it's not God's best for you, and he's got joy on the other side of it for you. He's got a promise of that for you. Listen to Psalm 126.5. It says, those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now, I don't mean think that this is a literal 24-hour period where God says, hey, if you cry yourself to sleep in the morning, you're going to wake up shouting. It's a picture of that, that, that sometimes things are dark and sometimes things are rough and sometimes things are difficult, but there is a morning coming. There, there is a day where, where the sun is going to shine again. Uh, and sometimes that period may be longer <coughs> than others. But God has given us joy. So if you're struggling with depression, what do you do? First of all, do this. Control what you can control. There are depression factors that are out of our control. Uh, and you, you, you can't do anything about those. But there are some factors that are in our control. Psalm 1611 says, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. So my first question as somebody who's depressed is, when's the last time you got in the presence of God? When's the last time that you really pressed in. This isn't to say that anybody who's depressed is depressed because they, they're not a Christian or they're not a good Christian. I'm not saying that at all. But, but the first question is, when's the last time you got in God's presence? Uh, have you pressed into him? For me, this is what this looks like. For different people, it's going to flesh out differently. But, but for me, if I'm down, if I'm really having a difficult time, I worship. That, that I'm going to put on a few favorite worship songs and I'm going to lay on my face or I'm going to raise my hands and, and I'm going to cry out to God. Uh, because for me, worship is why I encounter the presence of God the, the most quickly. I mean, I'll, I'm in God's presence so, so much faster through that process than others. For some people, it's reading the word of God. For some, it's prayer. Um, I, I can't tell you what the best way to encounter that presence quickly is. But for me, if I'm really down and I spend an hour in worship, I'm not really as down anymore. Like, it, it just happens that, that, that God's going to bring me out of that. Again, I've never had clinical depression, so I'm certainly not saying that there's never a time where you come and worship for an hour and you're not still going to feel bad. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying that's where I'd start. Press into God's presence. Seek God. Have you been in God's word? Well, no. Start. Start there. Have you been in prayer? Well, no. Start there. That, that's the, the greatest thing we can do is allow that to, to press us towards him. I, I think sometimes there's a restlessness, there's an emptiness in our heart simply because we're not spending time with God. And God is trying to draw us to himself. He's trying to show us, you're missing out on my best. I've got so much better for you. And so he, there's a gnawing in our spirit that, 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 that's drawing us to him. That's, again, not to say that every time somebody's depressed, that's the case. But I do believe in some cases, that is the case. So, so, so try that. Um, surround yourself with people who are going to speak joy into your life. Man, surround yourself with, with others who are going to be there for you, who are going to pray for you. Open up 
I know it's dangerous. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult to tell somebody this is what I'm dealing with. But God didn't design us to do life alone. He's put people in your life. He's put people in your city group. He's put people in your, your ministry that you serve alongside, man, that, that are there to go to war for you, to go to bat for you. Uh, but so many times we try to hold on to our secrets. We try to hold on to our stuff and, and power through it on our own. And God hasn't designed for us to do that. Give somebody the ability to help you. Open up and share with somebody. Uh, another thing I always recommend people who are dealing with depression is to find a way to serve. Uh, it, it sounds backwards. You think, well, I can only serve. I can only help somebody else when I'm in great shape myself. But, but this is medical as well. They do this in rest homes all the time where, where the elderly who, whose families don't come to visit them and don't come see them and they're there by themselves and they just feel so depressed, they'll come in and they'll get them a pet. Why? Because now they got somebody they got to take care of. And when you got somebody else to take care of, you take the, your focus off of here's what I don't have and here's what I'm missing out on and, and how I can take care of this thing. Um, and I believe that's absolutely spiritual. I think that God has designed us to serve. And when we're serving, when we're looking at the needs of others, when we're looking at how we can bless somebody else, we're not so concerned about the thing that's missing from our own life. Again, I'm not saying that all you have to do is get involved in Kid City or you'll never be depressed again. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I do believe it's a, it's a powerful way to push beyond depression in many situations. Um, again, if you've tried those things, you've taken those spiritual routes, and you're still dealing with that stuff, there's no shame in, in clinical help. There's no shame in getting a doctor. There's no shame in getting on medication. There's no shame in, in finding a therapist. Um, I recommend Christian counseling. Uh, I think there's absolutely benefit in, in trained professionals who also have the word of God to speak into your life, who, who have studied the, the psychiatric side and the psychological side, but they also know what God's word says. I think it's so much better. Why, why have just one of the two when we can have both? Uh, and so if you're ever dealing with something and you need some Christian counseling, we've got some great organizations that we can recommend to you that, that can do that stuff in depth. I'm not a trained counselor. I love to sit down with people and try to help you, but my help may not be very beneficial to you. Uh, my wife's actually the psychology major in the family. Uh, she's probably way more qualified on this than I am, but uh, she's not uh, certified. She's, she's a psych major. She didn't go through the master's program. So there, there are trained professionals that we can connect you with, that we can help you to, to help through these, these things and these situations. Get help. You're not designed to do life alone. Take advantage of God's family. Take advantage of God's presence. Take advantage of the doctors that God's provided. Next question. What does the Bible say about suicide and self-harm? Do you go to hell if you commit suicide? Um, this is one of those things that I grew up being taught. That if you commit suicide, you're going to hell. Uh, and I think a lot of people have grown up with this teaching. And, and I think the motivation behind this teaching is I want to keep people from committing suicide. Uh, don't, don't kill yourself. So if we tell you that if you do, you'll go to hell, then hopefully you won't. Um, I don't think, well, here, here's the problem with it. Because then a family member commits suicide. And, well, I guess my family member is in hell. Um, the Bible does not specifically say that if you commit suicide, you'll go to hell. It doesn't say if you commit suicide, you won't go to hell. What the Bible does teach is that our salvation is not based on our works. It's based on Jesus Christ. It's based on his grace, his goodness, his love for us, and our belief in him. Uh, so I believe there will be some people in heaven who committed suicide. Can't prove it to you. I, I don't know for sure. It, somebody might argue that, hey, if you're truly a Christian, you'll never commit suicide. I don't believe that. 
But that's my personal opinion. I can't show you that in Scripture. I, I believe there are people who, who have been afflicted, who've been oppressed by, the, by, by a demonic presence or by chemical stuff or just didn't know how to handle situations, didn't know how to turn to the family of God, didn't know how to turn to God's word. Doesn't mean they weren't a Christian. They just they didn't have the tools to get through something that they were facing, and they took their own life. Now, obviously, I'm not recommending that. Uh, I think there's always something better. Uh, the question also refers to self-harm. Self-harm usually in, in this context is referring to cutting or, or, or other behaviors that, that a lot of times younger people engage in uh, when they're depressed, when, when they don't know how to control the situation. The situation seems so out of control, so they do something to hurt themselves. Um, the Bible does give us plenty of examples of suicide. It doesn't say really a whole lot about it, but it, we do see examples of it. Obviously, Judas Iscariot, the man who betrayed Jesus, killed himself shortly afterwards. Jonah, the, the prophet, tried to kill himself, uh, tried to throw himself into an ocean and give up his life, but God's like, no, I'm just going to send a big old fish to hold on to you for three days and then spit you up on dry land because I'm not done with you yet. Um, so, so we see some examples in Scripture of suicide. We see at least one example of cutting uh, the prophets of Baal. On Mount Carmel, there were 450 prophets of Baal, one Elijah, and they have this great showdown to see which God is going to rain down fire from heaven. And, and the prophets of Baal, after they've sought the, their God for a couple of hours and he hasn't shown up, the Bible says they start cutting themselves until they bled to try to get his attention. Jeremiah 29, 11 says very famously that God says, I know I have the, uh, the thoughts I have for you, um, says the Lord. Thoughts to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Excuse me, the plans I have for you, says the Lord. He says not to harm you. Harming ourselves is never God's best. Suicide is never God's best. God's plan for us is never that we would hurt ourselves. God's plan for us is never that, that we would take our own life. Um, God's always got something better. And so uh, if you guys will grant us a, a few minutes to do this, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Dan, if you'd come and join me up here. Uh, Dan Turnage uh, is going to join us. Uh, Dan is a, a buddy of mine who he's actually been here at City Church for about a month. Uh, and he and I had dinner this past week and he uh, shared with me his testimony. And I was like, man, I got to get you to come and share this for a question that we have this Sunday. So he's going to share with us a little bit about his experience uh, with uh, attempting suicide and, and being to the place where he nearly took his own life. So Dan, first of all, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Tell us uh, where you're from, where you work, kind of that, that part of the process. Well, I am from Tarpa, Mississippi, home of the Bulldogs. I'm a state grad. I have been here um, about eight years working at Soto Central Middle School. I got some of my kids over here. It's good to see them. Um, Maggie. That's just, you guys are supposed to cheer yeah, when he Maggie. gives you a shout out. I mean, come on, give them some love. <laughs> and it, it's, it's, I think some of them are guests, but and, uh, Vicky. Paul's daughter, we called her Vicky Valencourt. If you're familiar with Waterboy, I got uh, Blake. He's in my PE class. I coached Barrett in football last year. And uh, Hardcore Holly back there. Brian, that's what Coach Brown calls him, Hardcore Holly, if you know about wrestling. Avery, he rides my bus. I'll be coaching him in football next year. Jacob Russo, I coached him in seventh grade. I put him in lunch detention a lot. <laughs> and uh, Zach is uh, in my history class. He's a great student, probably because of my teaching. <laughs> and um, also, Blake, I mean, Barry, Brian is also one of my teachers, help us too. Um, I, I think that's it, Andy. Yeah. But it, it was, it's, a, it's just it's a blessing to see, see them today. And, and when I looked online for a new church, I was praying to God. I said, Lord, I really want to find a place to go. And 
I looked up online and I saw, I saw this. And I was looking through some of the pictures. I said, hey, I know them kids. And I went to school the next day. I said, Blake, not Blake, uh, uh, Brian, I said, you go to the city church. He said, yeah, I go. I said, you know what, I'm going to come check it out. And I've, fell, I've fallen in love with this place already. Wow. It's been How one cool month. Y'all can cheer for that too. Praise yeah. God. So so good to have you here. So, so Dan and I were eating dinner, having some Mexican uh, Monday night, and, uh, and he just started sharing his testimony with me. And, and a huge part of his testimony is this point when, when he was very suicidal and, and what God did in his life. And I said, dude, I know you've only been here a couple of times, but we're preaching about this Sunday. What would you think about sharing your story? And uh, by God's grace, he was totally up for it and willing. And so, Dan, would you, would you just tell us a little bit what was going on in your life? when you came to that point, how old were you and kind of what, what was going on? I was uh, 23 years old. I'm 42 now. That's how long it was. Um, I was saved when I was 20. So, yes, you can be a Christian in battle with that. Um, I, I think that I grew up rough. I grew up in a very tough environment. The depression, I was battling with the depression. The depression latched on to me, I think, from my parents. And uh, my dad battled with it. My grandmother and I guess I carried it into a adulthood, and and I, I got saved. I asked the Lord into my I knew I got saved. And then a few years later, I was doing pretty good, and I got out of the will of God, got out of church, got out of contact with my friends, my Christian friends, my uh, my pastors, who they were, they were close. And, uh, you know, and then I just got to a point where I got further and further away from the answer. So, and I was in a relationship, I was planning on getting married, and it was bad, and I, she was bad, and it was just, I don't want to blame it on the woman, but it was just bad, you know, and the depression got deeper and deeper, and the problems started arising, I was, went back to college, I was flunking out, and it was just, everything was coming against me, and, and, um, and it just got, the voices just started coming to me. It's over for you. You're defeated. You know, it just got deeper. And this, like, heavy, heavy spirit just kept getting darker and just getting darker and darker. And for some reason, I just felt like I was so far away from the Lord that I don't know if he would take me back, you know. But uh, and, So what happened the, the day that you I went. I was at my dad's that. house. He, he was a truck driver at the time. And I went I went by there to maybe check on their animals or something. I don't know. But, um. Just it, just it got to the point where it was just so bad, and um, I remember getting going into the uh, gun closet. I had a handle, and I was crying, and uh, and I was praying, and I, I just fell to my knees and I prayed, Lord, I, I don't want to do this. And that's really the first time I had prayed for a while, because I, but I said, Lord, I I don't want to do this, but I can't, I can't. It's it's, it's pressuring me. Because if anybody has dealt with that, and I don't know if anybody in here has dealt with that, or you know somebody who's dealt with that, so when you get to that point, your mind is just, it, it just, it kind of just takes over on its own. Because there's three, there's three things that, about your mind. You got your own personal thoughts, you know, maybe insecure thoughts. You got the devil trying to put thoughts in your head, and you got the word of God. That's the only thing that can flow through there. And I think my thoughts, my negative thoughts, and Satan's thoughts just got me to that point. So, uh, you know, I was sitting there crying, and uh, I had the gun, and I was contemplating suicide. I mean, I was really thinking about it. But I was also praying to the point, too, because I did know God at one point, 
So as I kept praying, I, um, his voice, and I know it was God's voice, not a voice. It was God, the Holy Spirit helping me. He said, you need to call Brother Jerry, my pastor, who now lives in Louisiana. He discipled me. And I called him, and I told him what was going on. And he said, you need to come see me as quick as you can, or I will visit you. I'll come and get you. He said, put the gun down. So I, like, threw the gun across the living room. Tell them, sorry. Yeah, okay. So, I know the story. Okay, well. But. <laughs> So I threw the gun across the living room. Thank God, it, I guess it didn't go off, but I remember tossing it. And uh, I drove to Starfield, and I uh, met with my pastor, and um, I walked into the office, and I just I just remember the heaviness. I just fell down on that floor, just falling, crying. And, uh, it was 19 years ago, and it seems like it was a long time ago. Sometimes it's fresh in my mind. And uh, I just... And, and, and when, when I fell to the floor, the pastor said, praise God. <laughs> he said, because you're back. And the proper discipleship, them praying with me and getting back into the will of God and, and uh, everything, it got me back on track and to be able to fight against those things that the devil was trying to do. Because the devil was trying to kill me. He wanted me dead. And he, he did not want me in this world. And he, there's a lot of people like that. Um. And day in and day out, you'll see people that you wouldn't even think of wrestling with that. You know, nobody would have thought that about me um, back then. You know, because I, I hid it very well. But sometimes you just can't hide things. But the battle was with me was with the depression, as he talked about. And when you're depressed, it's, it's different between being depressed and battling with depression. Because, I mean, sometimes you still get depressed. You know, you have a bad day, you get depressed or, you know, Bulldogs lose the egg bowl, you get depressed. Or, now, you got, certain, you got certain depressions or, you know, the Cowboys have another losing season. I'm a Cowboys fan. Thanks for that. I'm hoping that Dak Prescott can break that curse anyway. But uh, I'm also a Browns fan. Another reason to be depressed. Um, but this is just different with depression. Depression is a state of mind. And sometimes it is medical. And I did take medication and it helped, but it didn't solve. The medication didn't solve it. I think that depression was conquered when people were laying hands on me and praying that off of me. Like it was a generational thing, too. Uh, and when my pastors and friends, and I had friends that went through it, you know, and they just came together in Jesus' name. Because anything you bind in Jesus' name has got to go. Amen. Anything, and, and sometimes I would think, you know, there's, I can't get out of this. I cannot beat this, you know. And I'm here today. I mean, I can tell you, there ain't nothing too big for the name of Jesus Christ. Come on. His, his, <laughs> and the enemy will try to intimidate you, lie to you, use your insecurities, use your weaknesses. But we, I, the word of God and our testimony, it punches them right in the face. That's exactly what it does. Absolutely. Real quick, Dan, one last question for you, and thank you so much for, for sharing your story. Say somebody in this room is dealing with suicidal thoughts today or, or recently or soon will be dealing with those thoughts. What, what advice in two or three minutes would you say, man, here, here's what I would tell you, having been through it myself and now it's 19 years later, what, what would you tell that person? Um. Reach out to somebody first. Pray. I prayed first, and I reached out to somebody. There's somebody 
that you can reach out to. I know there's people here that can help you. I mean, if you know somebody that's going through this, heck, send them to me. I don't care. I've worked with kids for 17 years. I've counseled young kids that have been suicidal. I've even ministered to adults that have been suicidal. But uh, meds are fine. I mean, as far as the depression and everything, but that, uh, get help. Like he said, Christian counseling, because you've got to replace negative thoughts with other thoughts. You've got to replace those negative thoughts with God's thoughts. So you've got to change the way you think. A lot of times people are depressed because of the way they think. Has anybody read, you know, about Joyce Meyer, read the Battlefield of the Mind book? Anybody ever read that? It's one of my favorite books. You've got to change the way you think. If you stay in negative thinking all the time, then you're probably going to be depressed. You've got to change the way you think, the way you pray. And um, with me, that was the main thing. But you've got to reach out. If you know somebody struggling with it, reach out. Find somebody to talk to. Find somebody that you trust. Thank God that I had the friends and I had the pastors back home that I trusted to to help me out of it. And uh, as I was telling pastor the other day, I battled with, I went, I fell back into a depression. I used to have a medical problem of seizures. And I was like, Lord, here we go again. I just got through with that. And now I got this, and I got depressed again. But this time it didn't last long because I had learned how to, you know, fight for myself. And I, I went through that for about five years on and off having seizures. And, and at a Bible study at my house about seven years ago, which I ain't had one since, you know, I just told the guys, I said, I'm sick of battling. And they laid hands on me, prayed over me. I haven't had a seizure since. We pray, The Holy Spirit came down on me, and, and we claim it in Jesus' name, and and, uh, you know, it's just part of suffering. You know, suffering. It went, I can't promise that when it will go away, or what, what it'll, but you, if you stay persistent, consistent with it, you will find victory. Because it don't matter what you're going through, there's victory in Christ, always. And that's not a cliche, that's the truth. Amen. That is awesome. Come on, let's give it up. Come on, give it up for Dan one more time. What a testimony. Revelation 12, 11 says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And uh, I believe there's somebody who's going to find victory today because of Dan's testimony. Um, and uh, maybe more than one somebody. So we're, we're going to pray. Uh, and I want to offer, number one, if you don't know Jesus, the, the promise for joy, the promise for victory, uh, you don't have access to that yet. Uh, so I want to offer you the opportunity to, to get to know Jesus today. Uh, the, the same God who created us with the free will, he said, you know what? I see where your nature is taking you. I, I see the, the destruction that this is bringing. I see that this is going to condemn you to life, eternity apart from me, and I want to fix it. So he sent his son, Jesus, to die in your place and in my place. He didn't just condemn us. He said, I want to fix the problem. I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to take your shame. I'm going to take your sickness, your disease, your depression, and I'm going to nail it to that cross. And I'm going to pay the price for it. And so Jesus laid down his life that we could be free, that we could, be, that we could receive salvation, that we could spend eternity with him. And so if you're far from God today, I want to offer you the opportunity to, to come home, first of all. And then secondly, I want to pray for those who are dealing with depression or suicide. So if you would just bow your heads very quickly. Every head bowed, every eye closed. 